Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. But um, we're still a couple of weeks away from the opening of the season. Eagles are still uh, the team that garners more conversation than anyone else around here. And it's understandable because a couple of things have come down with the birds over the last couple of days. And here to give us some insight to that is a guy whose job it is to cover them on a day-in, day-out basis. He does so for phillyvoice.com and Sports Illustrated. John McMullen joins me here on 94WIP. How are you, J-Mac? Doing well. How are you, Jody? Very good. Um, how many years have the Eagles been your number one beat? Um, let's see. Let's get a, a entire Doug Peterson. Uh, so about six, six, seven years. Six, seven years. <laughs> it's tough to do the math when you get old. Right. That's okay. That's why I gave you some time. We got our we got our time here tonight. So take your time. Um, so you've been here for the last uh, six, going on seven years. Jeff Lloyd has been the owner the entire time. Um, do you think that the amount of influence Jeff Lloyd has had on player personnel has spiked of late? Has it always been this way? Has it just become a little bit more obvious and they're willing to say it out loud rather than keep it behind closed doors? Um, this comes off the big Mortensen report this week that Jeff Lurie says they should be looking to help Jalen Hurts out rather than get him competition uh, during this offseason. Is this out of the norm from Jeff Lurie as best you know? Uh, It it seems to have ramped up. uh, So I will say that from my perspective, it it, it certainly has ramped up. It's interesting, though, because I've, I've talked to some people over the past few days who have uh, been around here for far longer, um, really from day one of Jeffrey Lurie. And, and from their standpoint, it hasn't changed that much, maybe other than um, the overt part of it. Right. Uh, behind the scenes, um, evidently he's always been uh, uh, whatever term you want to use, uh, meddling, if you want to go in a negative direction, heavily involved, if you want to go in a positive direction. Um, But I I think it's pretty clear 
he does it in a different way than, say, a Jerry Jones, but he he's in that same category as as a as an owner who is really really involved. So I, I would say he's top five of 32 owners as far as being involved with the football aspect, and I don't think that's necessarily a good thing to be oh, blunt. That that is interesting. You say top five. All right. If that's the case, if your sources are accurate and you say that they've uh, been around the organization during the whole Jeff Lurie run, and you're talking to people who should know. If that's the case, I like the word you used to describe it. This season, it seems to be a little bit more overt than ever before. The actual influence may be the same as it's always been, but it's getting talked about in public uh, forums more so than ever before. Why the change? Yeah, it's interesting. I I mean, if you talk about Super Bowl 52, uh, and I like to make the Jones comparison, um, and you go back to Jerry and Jimmy Johnson, you know, there's a little bit of a jealousy there uh, with the Cowboys' success. We all know what happened. Um, We all know who got the credit for winning the Super Bowls. Uh, So much so um, that Jerry fired Jimmy and brought in Barry Switzer, and they won again. Um, yeah, but they won with Jimmy's they, they won, they won with Jimmy's players. You know that. Yeah, I know exactly. that. Everybody knows exactly. that. Everybody except for Jerry Jones and Barry Switzer know that. Exactly. And, and my point is now, he, he, he didn't do it when, when Doug was at the apex, but there's a little bit of that involved in the fact that they won Super Bowl 52, finally got over the hump. Um Doug obviously got a lot of credit as coaches and, by the way, deserved a lot of credit. We talked about the coaching staff. Um, You know, at that point, common sense tells you, okay, you want a Super Bowl. Here, do what you want. And it was the opposite of that. It really was. It got worse. And I, I can't really explain it other than, you know, Jeffrey seems to think he was responsible for the success of this team. And, I, I hey, I, I mean, when you own something, when it's yours, maybe that's natural. But that's that's the way I kind of see it. I, I don't know how many other ways you can take it from the hindsight and, and what has gone on and how the relationship soured so quickly, not only with Doug Pearson, but also Carson Wentz. You got a guy making decisions who, you know, he talks about emotional intelligence. He hasn't shown much emotional intelligence. I'll say that. That's an interesting way to look at it. And I know there are a whole bunch because I get the calls that I get here on WIP. uh, And you talk to the people that you talk to and uh, people respond to you in the forums that you got. Uh, Howie Roseman, not the most popular guy here in town these days. Uh, and I don't know that Howie's ever been uber popular, but uh, probably his Q rating is lower than it's ever been before. It sounds to me like if you want to get rid of Howie Roseman, uh, give him the most credit of anybody on the team. If the Eagles have an improved season, say it's all about Howie Roseman, and then Jeff Laurie might get jealous and actually start to hold Howie <laughs> accountable. That might be yeah, the best way uh, to get Howie out of the power chair. It's interesting, but I think Howie's in the power chair because Howie does what he's told in a lot of ways, and you can see. And that's interesting because, 
you know, I talked about Andy Reid was the one guy who I think, not 1999, Jody, when he was kind of an unknown, but when Andy kind of became entrenched and and became sort of widely regarded as one of the better coaches in the NFL, from the outside looking in, and I was in Minneapolis and, and different cities, um, you know, it looked like Andy was left alone. I'm told he wasn't left alone. He was just a better politician. And at times he was able to pacify Lori. At times he ignored him, and he had the cachet to do that. And I think that was one of Doug's biggest mistakes coming off Super Bowl 52. At that point, he had tremendous power, um, tremendous. Obviously, you know, nobody's going to fire a guy coming off Super Bowl 52. That's sort of when you try to seize power or try to seize a little bit more of what you want. And Doug never did that. And I think as he looks at that in hindsight, that was the biggest mistake. But, you know, even Andy Reid, yeah, I, I mean, he was he was really involved, and just Andy was a better politician. So when you talk about Andy being a Hall of Fame coach and, and being one of the better coaches of all time, people always focus, and understandably so, on X's and O's and schemes and things like that. The job is far more than that, and that's a perfect example. You have to handle everything. You have to handle personalities, not only players, not only assistant coaches, but even the GM, even the owner. You have to be able to manipulate all of that kind of stuff, and that's what the Eagles need. They need a politician as their head coach, and we'll see if Nick Sirianni can do that. Yeah, we will see that. Um, uh, uh, very intriguing perspective that John McMullen's given us on Jeff Lurie and the Eagles here on 94 WIP, which leads me to this question. Uh, if your read is right on how Lori has done his business and how those around him have uh, dealt with him and or played him at certain points, there's just one big anomaly that sticks out like a sore thumb to me, and that's when Chip Kelly won the power play that he did. If Jeff Lori is a guy who likes to get credit when things are going well, in the organization, and that you have to be a politician around him and uh, cajole him and know how to say yes and take your stances and say no. Chip Kelly was never any of those things. He was just a football guy, no better than anybody else, smartest guy in the room, and he flexed his muscles. The Eagles had had some success, but not massive success, not as much success as Andy Reid had had, and he was able to wrestle away power from Jeff Laurie and Howie Roseman, how did uh, Chip Kelly pull that off, and why do you think Jeff Laurie, if we've got this overall picture of the way Laurie's been running the Eagles since he bought him, how did he fall prey to Chip Kelly? Well, a lot of people fell prey to Chip Kelly, but I, but I will say there's a couple things. I mean, one, and, you know, in hindsight, look at Shady McCoy, and at the time, you know, Chip Kelly said, you know, it wasn't necessarily his idea. Um, you know, nobody believed him at the time. Maybe we should have believed him. Um, you know, you don't know 100%, but now as you look back at it, uh, you start to say, okay. And then when Chip, fi- uh, when, excuse me, when Jeffrey finally moved on from Chip, he did say he wanted to um, regain control of the organization. So he did sense things. Um, coming off the rails a little bit, but I think that was more personality driven. He's always been 
very, as I said, very in tune uh, and very involved with the day-to-day operations uh, with the organization. You know, our friend, to give you an example, you know, Barrett Brooks on, on phillyvoice.com on his show, we were talking about it during the week, and I, I said a similar thing that I'm talking to you about, Jeffrey, and Barrett said, Barrett remembered when he was here and Ray Rhodes was the coach. And a lot of Jimmy Johnson talked, the different Jimmy Johnson, the tight end, right. if you remember him when he was with the Eagles. So Barrett was telling a story where um, he was in the complex, uh, Ray was there, and Jimmy was upset, and, and, and Ray basically asked Jimmy Johnson, what's wrong? And Jimmy Johnson said, what do you mean what's wrong? You just cut me. Ray Rose had no idea he cut Jimmy Johnson because he didn't cut him. And that was a role player, uh, Jody. That was a role player, and the head coach wasn't involved. That, yeah, that to me, puts a stamp on, on, on what Jeffrey Lurie has been like. And it's interesting, if you go back, Jody, to the to the press conference uh, when when Jeffrey fired Doug Peterson, he said he, he he actually said he hasn't changed in 25 years. I personally chuckled at that. I'm not chuckling at that anymore. <laughs> okay, yeah, John McMullen, uh, our guest here on 94 WIP. All right, if we believe the report that Chris Mortensen came out with that Jeffrey Laurie is – absolutely with a heavy hand directing his organization this season, this offseason, to give weapons, to build things around Jalen Hurts as the quarterback of the Eagles rather than think about bringing in potential competitors for that position, be it a veteran quarterback or someone with the sixth pick in the draft. If we're to believe this, is Jeff Lurie at least getting it right? We may think that it's just bad business for the owner to be making the key personnel decisions ever in the NFL, but sometimes that owner can get it right. Is Jeff Lurie looking at this correctly? Yeah, I, you know, to me, it's it, it's bigger than just this one decision. And, and no, I, I don't think he's gotten the decision right because ultimately it should be left up to his football people, Andy Waddles, personnel people, Howie Roseman, which people are not going to like, but Nonetheless, and the coaching staff as well should have at least a voice. Um, and they might decide to go in that direction anyway because they might decide, hey, maybe we'll take a Kyle Pitts and, and, and you know, marry him with Jalen Hurts, and that's better than, say, Justin Fields and than just sticking with Jalen Rager as your number one uh, threat in the passing game. So they might ultimately come to that same decision, but they deserve an opportunity to talk it over and to put everybody who belongs in the conversation at that number uh, six overall pick. But even if it is right, and even if Jalen Hurts turns into a star and a legitimate starting quarterback in this league, it may be a little counterintuitive, but I still think it's bad because, you know, the old adage, a broken clock is right twice a day, but right. it's not going to tell you time consistently. Jeffrey Lurie is not equipped to make good football decisions consistently. And if he gets this right and he gets further emboldened, you know, who knows where the train is headed at that point. 
Uh, it could be yeah, win the battle but lose the war. I hear exactly where you're going. All right, a couple other eagle moves. We knew that they were going to have to start restructuring certain contracts. They've already done a couple, including, I believe, Isaac Sayamalo came down earlier today, uh, which is going to save them money under the cap. Uh, it, it certainly gets them out from a troubled position now, but it potentially and almost likely uh, causes problems down the road because it's just kind of uh, charge card journalism uh, spending you're doing that you're going to pay it off at a later date. It doesn't just go away. You just delay the price that you're going to have to pay. How many more of these uh, renegotiations are we going to have to see between now and the first day of the NFL season? Well, it, you know, it was a 182.5, 182.5 million. So a, a little bit less. I think most teams thought it was going to come in at about 185. So uh, if you speculate, it was 198.2 last season. If there was no pandemic, you're probably up at 208, 209. So you can see the difference. And a, a, a lot of teams are in the same boat. We, we've seen the Saints are even in worse shape. Everybody's renegotiating everybody. But, you know, one positive sign is Dak Prescott in Dallas because nobody knows better what ultimately the new TV deals are going to look like than Jerry Jones because he's in charge uh, of the TV committee in the NFL. And it's going to explode anywhere from 30 to 50 percent, probably closer to 50. So the cap's going up. So everybody knows that uh, hopefully, you know, obviously certain parts of the country are opening up a little bit more quickly than others, uh, but hopefully we're getting closer to normal. Uh, and, and as far as stadium revenue and things like that, that should increase as well. So I, I think the Golden Goose is going to be back in business uh, pretty quickly. So from that standpoint, the Eagles are kind of smart to take their medicine. They did it with Carson Wentz. We talked about that a lot, Jody, eating all that money. And it's going to be difficult for them this year. They have, yeah, they have to renegotiate everybody. They have to kick the can down the road. But the good news is um, the, there is light at the end of the tunnel. All right. Uh, we've got uh, the new uh, NFL year coming up next week. Then we've got the draft 50 days down the line. So using those two dates as the key dates, something's got to happen with Zach Ertz. He could be kept and play for the Eagles again next year at a uh, relatively expensive number off the kind of season that he had last year and just play out his contract and go free agent afterwards. He could be dealt, but if he's dealt, you got to keep him on your salary cap number until after the first of the year, which makes it a little bit difficult but not impossible. Or he could be cut over the next five days. What is the most likely scenario with Zach Ertz? Well, I know Zach wants to be released, and, and understandably so, because he would like the opportunity to, to pick his destination, so to speak, and uh, try to steer things uh, where he would like to. So that's the goal from his camp. And obviously the Eagles would like to uh, get something in return. But uh, either way, I don't think it's going to be a, a ton, uh, maybe conditional sixth, conditional fifth, if you're really lucky. So from that standpoint, is that really worth, uh, as you mentioned, if you trade them, 
well, that can't go through to the start of the new league year. So you have to carry that. Uh, you have to figure that out and, and be under the cap anyway. So that makes things even more difficult. So ultimately, if you pin me down and saying what's the most likely scenario, I would say they're just going to release. I don't think it's worth what they're going to get in return. And it's amazing because I know people are not going to understand that because he's been such a great player and he has. But, um, you know, the contract and, and people understanding the Eagles are moving on, it makes it very difficult uh, to pump up that value. Same thing with Brandon Brooks, um, who uh, there are rumors that the Eagles have at least uh, either reached out to teams or teams have reached out to them. There have been conversations about a potential trade with him uh, potentially moving on. Same thing, he's got a pretty big cap number, which we would have to carry into next year uh, because you can't trade him until the new year starts. But you probably get more in exchange for him than you could Jack, Zach Ertz because he didn't have the down season that Zach Ertz did but he had a completely injured season, which is part of what Brandon Brooks is all about. If the Eagles kept him and then tried to trade him after the new year started, what would they get in return for Brandon Brooks? Well, I, I and, and that's the thing. If they could get a day two pick, which I think is unlikely, then I think you, you should think about trading. But remember, there's not a lot of cap uh, uh, room saved by trading Brandon Brooks because of his contract. So I do think, you know, if you take Jeffrey Laurie at his word and say you want to build around Jalen Hurts, well, what's the easiest way to build? Everybody keeps talking about receivers and Pitts or Jamar Chase or Jalen Waddle, Devonta Smith, on and on and on. The easiest way to build up a quarterback is that offensive line. And I think the one strength the Eagles have, and there's a ton of ifs here, Jody, if Brandon Brooks is healthy, if Lane Johnson is healthy, we know Jason Kelsey's back. Um, I mean, that could be go very quickly from a bottom 10 offensive line to a top 10 offensive line again. And that's going to make the quarterback look better. So if I'm the Eagles and you're not going to get much from a trade perspective as far as uh, return of investment for how good the player is, you're not going to get much cap savings. I mean, if I want the quarterback to look good, I rolled the dice on Brandon Brooks for one more year. All right, since we went to the offensive line, I'll ask you to go crystal ball on me here. Who plays more snaps at left tackle for the Eagles? Doesn't have to be opening day. Doesn't have to be most. Who plays the most snaps at left tackle for the Eagles this year, Dillard or Maialata? Uh It's interesting. I, I think Andre is could be traded, uh, but if he's not traded, I would say Andre Dillard. Um, I, 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 you know, Jordan Mailata is, uh, and I know everyone is really excited about him. He's got tremendous natural talent. He's, he, he's got unbelievable size, unbelievable, uh, unbelievable athleticism as well. Uh, but he's still extremely, extremely raw. And for all the good, there's still a lot of bad. And Andre Dillard was, you know, people forget he was going to be the starting left tackle last year until the biceps injury. If you go back to his disappointing rookie season, he was getting better at left tackle. When he shifted to right tackle, he was really bad. 
So, uh, I mean, and the Eagles were upset that he didn't sort of put his head down and fight through it when they needed him uh, to replace Lane Johnson. But from a pass protection standpoint, that's still a really, really talented prospect. And I think it's way too early to give up on him. And he's just so much smoother, so much better from a technique standpoint. If he's here, he's going to win that job. Fair enough. All right. And let me ask you uh, one last question on this, um, because you would know better than me. Bicep injuries. We've seen them crop up around the league over the last. I don't remember anyone having when I was a kid growing up. He's out for the year with a bicep injury. But the last 20 years, because they're working out that much more and they use their muscles that much more. So you do see this injury. I don't want to say it's become commonplace, but it happens often enough that we get it. We understand it. My, just off the top of my head, general belief is that when it happens, it's not something that's necessarily reoccurring. Knee injuries, yes. Back injuries, yes. There are certain injuries that when you have them, you don't have to be on the lookout because it could happen again at any moment. I don't think of bicep injuries that way. Uh, Do I have the right read on this, or am I just making this up as I go along? No, I think you have the right read on it. You don't see consistent, you know, you, you think about uh, Brandon Brooks we just talked about and and two Achilles tears in, in three years and go back to Jason Peters when he had the two Achilles tears. And you think about big guys trying to rehab from that and maybe favoring one side, the other side goes. Uh, in the case of the biceps, yeah, I, I don't I don't think, and, it, and especially in Andre's case, remember, he got hurt in training camp, so it's been a long time. It's not like he's trying to force his way back a little bit early. Plenty of time to heal. Um, I, I don't think that's going to be much of an issue, uh, a recurring type thing. John McMullen from Sports Australian Philly Voice. Always great when we have you on. Uh, you know I'm going to be calling again soon enough, my friend. Thank you for the insight tonight. All right. Thank you, Jody. John McMullen, Philly Boys, Sports Illustrated, our guest here on 94 WIP. Some interesting ways to look at the Jeff Lurie era, Uh, not just this past week or two weeks or whatever, but his entire time as the owner of the Eagles that he's been more hands-on than uh, most people know. Well, then why would he be as overt about it as he did this year. I gave you my thoughts, John gave you his. I want to take yours. 215-592-9494. Let's reopen the phones here on 94WIP. You can text us on the same number you call us on. Wow. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 